You're entering the MSP Zone, a podcast for the managed services community, covering news, analysis, and interviews from around the globe. Elevate your MSP game by staying in the MSP Zone. And now, your host, Charles Weaver. We have been talking a lot, and I mean a lot, about cybersecurity technologies, meaning the software, the hardware that uh, goes into uh, helping MSPs uh, help their customers fight cybercrime, ransomware, phishing attacks, everything like that. But what we don't spend a lot of time on, what we haven't spent a lot of time on in recent years, that is, is the issue of people. What's the role of people in the fight against cybercrime? And I'm not just talking about uh, MSP organizations who assist their cu- customers. Uh, they obviously play a vital role in that, in that uh, uh, fight. But it, it's the, generically speaking, it's the role of an individual. And what can they do to really make a difference in their organization uh, both in an MSP organization and a customer, a, a non-MSP organization, the, the role of the individual is, is quite powerful and quite uh, impactful if utilized, if properly educated, and if properly cultivated. And that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. So uh, I invited uh, one, of our, one of our friends who's been, uh, been part of the MSP Alliance for a while now, uh, Dave Baggett, CEO and co- uh, no, sorry, not co-founder, founder of Inky, uh, to join uh, us on the program and just kind of talk to us about his perspective on the behavioral trends and what, what can MSPs uh, do to really uh, increase their uh, effectiveness in fighting cybercrime. So Dave, welcome to the MSP Zone. Thanks. Great to be here. All right, so so let's dive right in. Um, first of all, uh, I, you and I have talked about this in the past, but um, your company name, love it, Inky. Your your motif is <laughs> awesome. Maybe a quick high level uh, overview uh, for those not initiated, and not familiar with Inky. What do you guys do, and how did you come up with the name? So you know, Inky is an octopus. You can't necessarily tell she's an octopus because we only draw her with five legs, but she's really an <laughs> octopus. And we like to say Inky eats the fish, right? I mean, octopuses turn out to be really smart. They're as smart as dogs. They're like aliens that landed on planet Earth somehow. They use tools. So we thought a very smart creature that we could sort of anthropomorphize this whole concept of the machine helping. We've created this character, Inky, and, you know, she looks for the fish. And, of course, we do other stuff now beyond fishing, but fishing still remains our bread and butter. And, you know, originally I think there was a lot of question like, you know, is a global bank going to buy something with an octopus character? Um, turns out, you know, people don't don't mind at all, and they actually really like it. And, and that's one of the things that I'm most proud of uh, at Inky is that we've done such a good job with the branding that people literally come to our booth at shows and say, tell me about your branding. It's so cool. It's memorable. Of course, they want a little Inky plushie, too. They want a you know, yeah. squeezy toy or something. <laughs> no, I love it's memorable. It's, it's, that's the first job of, of good marketing. So, yeah, a fantastic name. So I, I want to I, I get right into this, which is we all know the the data, right? And, and, and we've got some stats from, I think, the, the last 2021 FBI uh, Internet Crime Report, right? The cyber attacks are generating, you know, about 6.4. 
6.9 billion in, in costs, right? Uh, costs of the cybercrime. Uh, we know that phishing is a very, very commonly used tactic for the uh, bad actors to, um, to launch their attacks. Um, I think 38% of all cybercrimes involve phishing, which is a fairly high uh, percentage uh, relative to one um, mode of attack. Um, we spend a lot of time talking about technology as a, as a means to defend. That's, it's not wrong, but it's not the whole picture, is it? No, I mean, and, and think about AI or machine learning more broadly. We have problems that we're pretty good at solving with machines, but not perfect. Uh, and email security is honestly one of them. There's no AI that will perfectly do do everything. It's kind of like, I use the analogy of self-driving cars. You might not want to trust your life to your robot car quite yet, but that doesn't make the AI that powers it useless to you. That AI can give you guidance. It can help you stay in the lane. It can warn you if you're about to crash in the car in front of you. It can keep you a safe distance from the car in front of you. And over the past year, year and a half, at Inku, we've really started thinking a lot about this slightly different model of AI, where historically, especially in, in the mail security sector that we're in, you're basically blocking stuff, right? You want the machines to block stuff. And some stuff goes to quarantine and some gets delivered. And that's always frustrating. There's false positives and false negatives where the AI is not quite right. And we've looked at that and said, well, it's useful to block stuff if you're sure, right? So Inky does block emails that are bad. But let's also do some of that guidance. And so we took that concept of everybody has this, right? They have a little external tag at the top of the mail. Be careful. This is from the internet. We found that's not very useful. That doesn't actually help users make better decisions because they become blind to it. And it's also not really telling them anything, right? The fact that it's external doesn't mean it's bad. But what we have found is if we take the analysis from the AI and we use that to decide well, let's put one of 75 different messages on a minority of males, like 10%, not 100%, and essentially use the AI almost like a virtual cybersecurity assistant. And we just put this guidance at the top of the mail uh, in, in yellow, and we found that it honestly helps users make better decisions. And sometimes that's guidance like, whoa, this does not look like the normal mail from Allison we think this is a potential sender forgery or account takeover, but we can't prove it, so we don't want to move it straight to quarantine. But this is what Inky thinks about it. You should be careful. Or it could be like, hey, you know, this is about wiring money. We're not saying it's not legitimate, but yeah, you should probably check that outside of email. So it's, you're so, involving them in a way that they haven't been in, involved before as a recipient of the email. Exactly. And, you know, one of the things we wondered is, Will users view this as burdensome, right? I'm, I'm supposed to help the AI. What we found is the exact opposite, and maybe it's because we have a cute character also, but we have, a, we have a report link where users can report if they think the mail's safe or fish or spam or whatever. And it's amazing. We often get people writing comments in there to Inky. I'm not sure they're writing it to the company or the creature, but they're like, great job, Inky, or hey, you got this one wrong. And we found that people have really embraced this idea of being included in the evaluation of the email risk. Yeah. So I, I want to I bring our collective attention to 
the, the concept, and I've been thinking about a, a good analogy here, and, and may, maybe you and I can come up with, a, with one, but the, the fact that there has been, I feel, a sense of, I don't need to be concerned with our company's IT security because the, the IT department handles that. The, the security team handles that. It's not my problem. And I, I think that that's not only wrong, but I think it's wrong and it's unhelpful because everybody is a target, including the, the very worst offenders in organizations, the, the executive level, right? The, the ones that come in and say, I want you to bend this rule. I want you to break this policy. I want to do this with the technology, even though everybody else does something else. And, and now you've got, you know, very commonly exploited uh, tactics like, you know, impersonating the CEO or the CFO and saying, hey, here, you know, wire this account, you know, this, you know, $5,000 today. It, it, have we set a bad precedent? And, and, you know, what do we need to do, obviously, to, to correct that? That 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 thought yeah, that I mean, everybody's everybody's you know not in, not involved in the fight. Yeah, I mean, I have two thoughts on that. One is that you know we've done a lot of work with SMBs and MSPs where the customers are often smaller companies. They may not have an IT or security team, right? Or that may be their MSP, and so the idea of delegating all that responsibility to to somebody else. Well, that may not be totally realistic, right? There's no no one to walk down the hall who's the CISO to ask, like, hey, should I click on this link? So you can almost think of this this guidance, which we call the email assistant, as like the stand-in CISO or security person. Um, the other aspect of your question, which I think is really important, is the the motivation of people to be part of the solution. And I think historically, there have been two minds about phishing emails. There's the one that says, I want to involve humans. I'm going to train them to try to identify fish. Whether that's really feasible in practice or not is still unclear to me. But we'll try to train them to recognize the fish mm-hmm. without any guidance. But there's also been the school of thought of it's the stupid users clicking on stuff. Why don't they just stop? And almost making it a blame the victim kind of thing. And I, I think that just putting in front of people information and guidance which importantly, it has to be something they understand. It can't be cybersecurity lingo. It's got to be something they will understand. That both involves them. You know, it means, yes, this is part of your responsibility too. You're involved in blocking bad stuff. But it also shows you're not considering them infantile or blaming them, which I think is really important. Yeah. Well, that brings me to my next question, Dave, which is, do you, do you think that the do you think that the uh, average user, the non, shall we call it the non-technical user, right? So I, IT people, right, have no excuse but to be uh, trained and aware and, and well-educated and current, I should say, current educated on email threats, cybersecurity threats, that's part of their job. But the non-technical user, it, it's now incumbent upon them also to be active and and engaged in this do you, do you think that there has been a um oh, what's the right term that that they have been left out of this fight for a while and that and that that how do we get them back into the fight does that make sense yeah to some extent i think they have been and the broader question here is what should the user experience be 
when you're reading through your mailbox, you have 300 messages a day. You might be working from home and your kid's asking for lunch and your dog's barking. Like, what is the ideal user experience for someone non-technical who just wants to do their job and not be a cybersecurity expert? And I think we've been a bit remiss in not giving them more information. And the reason that we haven't given them more information is because it's actually kind of hard to do that because we often show MSPs like, here's all these banners. We have 75 different things that go on the banners. And only later do they ask, well, wait, how does Inky know what banner to put on the mail? Oh, well, that's AI, right? That's the hard part. Right. It's not a trivial thing, right? But what we're trying to do is give the user, we're trying to surface information that wouldn't be visible or comprehensible to them in a way that's really obvious. Do not click on this or at least confirm outside of email or, hey, this might not really be Allison, right? doesn't look like something she would write. Well, I liked your, uh, that uh, I remembered what I went on to say. It, it relates to your analogy of the self-driving car, right? You don't abdicate full responsibility to be a safe driver if you're behind the wheel and you've got that autopilot turned on. You're still responsible for it. And I think that that's where if people think, well, the, the IT department clearly has, you know, anti-phishing email screening, you know, super duper technology at work here, I don't have to worry about it. That's the mentality that I think is really dangerous. And this is social engineering, a lot of this stuff. Right? I'm, what, I'm, what I'm seeing, and, and I'd be curious as to your thoughts, it seems like it's social engineering tactics employed through an email that really rises to the level of technology isn't going to catch all this stuff. The, the, the personnel, the individual has to be engaged and involved to, 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 to win this. What are your thoughts? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it's like, you know, the people who would drive the early Tesla cars, you know, and read a book while doing it and filming themselves. It's like, no, you're not really supposed to be doing that. <laughs> it's not <laughs> autopilot, really. Even though he called it autopilot, it's, it's the same thing here. And there are specific categories of email attacks, phishing and otherwise, that are very, very hard to prove. So one of the things we look for in Inky is evidence to suggest a mail is malicious, <clears throat> evidence to suggest a mail is good. And often with something like an account takeover, let's say somebody guesses Allison's password and Allison's IT, shame on them, do not have two-factor auth set up. So they log into Allison's account and mail from her. So it's from her real account. They've typed in whatever they want. Really, the only way you're going to be able to determine that's not her is by what she wrote. And maybe there will be some infrastructure traces in the headers of the mail. But you're not going to get to the point generally where you can prove this is absolutely not her. And that's where I think a lot of the frustration has been historically. It's kind of binary, right? Historically, it's been, well, we're training people once a quarter on recognizing bad mail. And if the user doesn't recognize it's bad mail, that's on them, right? And then there's the other school of thought, which is, no, we have robots that do this, and we're going to pretend they're perfect, even though we know they make lots of mistakes. And a lot of times that mail that's not really from Allison will end up in somebody's inbox with absolutely no annotation. Other times, perfectly good stuff will end up in the quarantine. So we look for this concept of, can we prove it? If we can prove it, then of course we can quarantine it. If we can't prove it, then that sort of gives us this third category of, let's tell the user what we thought. Pinky thinks this may not be Allison typing this because it's not the kind of thing she would write. And often there are linguistic cues and things like spelling and stuff that right. Inky picks up on that 
hey, I mean, that's not obvious to a human, especially if they're reading 300 mails a day. And and that's what really it sounds like makes this unique from the traditional, you know, like 10, 15 years ago, email filtering technology, which would have said, this looks suspicious because of the oh, IP address or the MX record is is looking weird. It's not matching up, right? They use tech, technical filters or queries, it seems like, to to really trigger that yes or no kind of danger red flag. This is, again, I get back to it. it's It's actively engaging the reader of the email to say, look, you have a role to play in the defense of your organization. Play it. Be involved. Exactly. And one reason that we've been thinking this way, again, working towards this kind of new model, uh, is that over the last five years, the attackers have gotten a lot more sophisticated. So there was a time, I don't know, five, ten years ago, where you could block most phishing mail by looking for the presence of known bad phishing URLs, known bad URLs, and you'd get this feed like OpenFish. Yeah. The attackers realized, oh, now I can't put those in because they catch me. Instead, what I'll do is I'll give every recipient a random URL on the one hand, or I got an even better idea. I won't have a URL at all. I'll just put in something that says, please call me or pay this invoice. And so what we've seen over the last five years is the techniques that we could use as white hats to block this stuff have stopped working. Uh, and even things like, for example, you might have heard most systems look at the age of a domain that sent the mail. If the domain was registered yesterday, it's probably not really Microsoft, right? Right. Well, that doesn't work anymore because the attackers know that, and now they bank domains. They buy them on Namecheap and don't use them for six months. So the simple mechanical checks that used to work don't anymore and the attackers have evolved to the point where the attacks are sophisticated enough that it is very, very difficult, probably arguably impossible for any machine to prove the mail isn't, isn't legitimate in all cases. And so you're going to have this gap, right? So what do you do in the gap? Just throw up your hands or you do what historically people have done and say, well, no, our system's perfect. And then just try to pretend, like put your head in the sand. So we're sort of confronting this and saying, let's tell the user everything we know and let that person make the decision because probably they have all the, they have more context about the world than the machine does, right? They know, oh, Allison's mail looks weird because she's sending it from France, right? She's jet lagged. The machine's never going to be able to know that, right? The context. And so, but it absolutely is involving the humans because guess what? Humans are really good at identifying anomalies in mail and other things, just like they're really good at driving cars and machines aren't quite yet. Yep. So, I, no, that's a really good point. I, I want to turn our attention a little bit to the, um, I get this is a natural add-on, right? So it's not only a good thing to do, but it's also a potential, uh, not potential, it is a revenue uh, enhancer, uh, a new revenue stream for MSPs. But this doesn't, this could also be easily used by MSPs. This probably, arguably, ought to be used by MSPs, uh, uh, you know, across their entire organization, not just the technical uh, side, but everybody, because obviously MSPs are part of the same target of, of cyber criminals. Um, your thoughts on that? Are you getting a lot of uh, MSP adoption for their internal uses on this platform? Yeah, and I think partly that, that comes out of the fact that we always 
you know, even prior to the last year, we've always been very user experience focused. And I, and I think there's a broader trend of the user experience improvements you see in consumer facing stuff like, like our phones, that's starting to become a requirement for enterprise software, right? Even for B2B software. So we've been on the leading edge of trying to make stuff a lot easier to use, both for the end users, as we discussed, but also for the MSPs, like a typical MSP has a whole stable of customers and they need to manage all of these. And a lot of those are not very technically sophisticated customers. They may not know anything about cybersecurity. So phishing is a huge problem for them. And what we've done is a couple of things. One, we let the MSP onboard their customers themselves, and it takes minutes, literally. We had someone just tell us the other day, why would I ever deploy anything else? This took me four minutes to deploy just now. And also give them very fine-grained control over the policies that apply to their, their customers. So we let them, for example, set a default policy for all customers, and then they can go down almost like a policy tree and then adjust the policy for a specific customer. And that kind of thing, while it's sort of boring from a marketing standpoint, is the kind of thing that MSPs love, is it saves them time, it gives them more visibility. We have a, also a really cool dashboard that lets you search for, well, show me all the stuff Inky thought was, brand forgery, impersonating Microsoft, targeting these customers. One pane of glass, super easy. And then the final reason I think you know MSPs have really flocked to us is it is very tightly integrated with O365. It almost feels like it's a Microsoft product, honestly, because it's integrated into the same authentication system. It installs part of O365 in minutes. It's very seamlessly integrated. There's no separate quarantine. And so I think all those things, some of which we developed along the way in response to feedback, and some of which we kind of went in intentionally to try to make the lives easier of the people who are just getting hammered by their customers getting fished, right? And what do they what do they do about it? It's not an easy problem to solve in the absence of a tool like ours. Yeah. I, so I, I, did, I actually triggered another question. Um, do you, in your conversations with MSPs, are is the issue that, like we talked about at the beginning of, the, of, of this interview, that the MSPs are no stranger to having email technology, email security technology. They've had it for 20 years, right? And it's it's right. standard operating procedure. Are they understanding that it's not enough anymore? Like we, we actually have oh, yeah. to engage the oh, people. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, I think there's, you don't even have to have an academic or political position on email security. You just have to see that your users are getting fished, right? And they're opening tickets and calling you, right? Uh, We've seen this explosion of that. I mean, you quoted the stats from the FBI, but phishing still the easiest way to steal money from somebody. It's still the easiest way to execute a social engineering attack, especially when you're targeting a smaller company that doesn't have maybe their own sock, exactly the kind of companies that need an MSP. And so on the one hand, we're a labor-saving device for the MSP because we deal with a lot more of this stuff, so a lot, lot less stuff, a lot less fish gets through. Lotless fish is something that the MSP themselves have to deal with, but also makes it visible. Hey, I MSP am solving your biggest problem. And you can see it in your mail, right? You can see those little yellow banners. That's me helping you not get fished. And I think that visibility is also really valuable. Yeah. 
No, definitely. Um, what I'm curious, what type of MSPs are you, uh, are you seeing a resonance with? Like, uh, uh, you know, enterprise, mid-market, SMB, any, any, any data that you can share in terms of who's, who's, uh, yeah, receptive? I mean, we've, we've seen them all, we've seen them all across the board. I would say historically more SMB and mid-market because, you know, I think almost any cybersecurity company, when it starts out, it starts out on the, on the smaller end. It takes forever to get an enterprise deal done, whether you're doing it directly or through an MSP. Sure. We're definitely getting what you would consider for any definition of enterprise, enterprise customers. Let's say the MSP market for us has been more focused around mid-market and SMB. And, and partly that's because we went after that explicitly. We do also have, you know, platform providers that themselves have MSPs. So there's, there's, that, there's that channel effect as well. Right. Right. No, that makes sense. Makes sense. Um, and look, I, it, the, the SMB mid-market sector is, they're, they're no less a target than the, their enterprise colleagues. In fact, they're arguably more at risk because they have less technical capabilities than the enterprise um, organizations do. So that, that makes a ton of sense. That, and, and quite frankly, the larger the organization, uh, you know, if, if, if you out there listening to this are, are paying attention, the larger the organization that you manage uh, in your MSP practice, the the larger that multiplier effect of someone who is who is not educated on the risks of these emails, th- that their risk goes up through the roof. I would think, the larger the group. Yeah, and one of the and totally, and one of the things they also have observed forever in cybersecurity is the haves and the have-nots, right? Like, so you've got. What technologies are available to global banks? Well, that's a different set of tools with different price points than have typically been available to SMBs or MSPs. One of the reasons that we broadened our offering into a whole platform, not just fish coming in, but also looking for stuff going out, is because historically those tools have been really expensive and only available to enterprises. So it's pretty cool to be able to give a small company through an MSP a tool that tells them, whoops, you just tried to send out a credit card number. You didn't mean to do that, did you? And make that all have the same user-friendly experience of the email assistant. And, and I think that's another area we feel like we can add a lot of value. Like make it easier to use for normal people, you know, not just enterprise security people, but normal people. And make it all work from their phone, right? Don't assume like if you're a bank, maybe before last year or two years ago, you could assume everyone's at their desktop. So an Outlook plugin's fine. You can't assume that anymore, right? You have to assume everybody's using mobile. So everything has to be completely as functional. And I would even argue better on mobile than on desktop. Interesting. That's really interesting. Hey, look, if, if MSPs are out there listening to this and saying, wow, Dave, this is really interesting. Um, love to take the technology uh, for a whirl and, and see what this is all about. What's the best way for uh, MSPs to reach out to you guys? I would tell them come to inky.com slash partners. Uh, it's easy to remember inky.com slash partners. Uh, and, and there's a, there's a whole partner portal on that. We've invested a lot of time and effort into building a dedicated partner team, building dedicated partner tools, as I mentioned, and also a, a web experience for, for things like, you know, deal registration and so on. So, Inky.com slash partners is, is the place to get started. We'd love to work with you. Yeah, I, I think no matter, no matter what you do out there, do something. I mean, doing nothing is not an option. And just relying on the same 
technology. You don't get rid of the technology. You need that still. But I think it's time that you think about the educational component and activating not only your internal MSP team members, but also all the customers you support, getting them individually involved, not just the technical, the non-technical as well, is going to make a huge difference in increasing your odds of, of winning more cyber battles. And that's ultimately what we're about. If we can't win the war, at least for now, then we certainly need to win more battles. And I think that they are definitely winnable. So Dave Baggett, thank you very much for coming on and, and sharing your perspective with us. Really appreciate that. Thanks, Charles. Really, really appreciate being here. And folks, uh, hope you check out Inky.com forward slash partners, uh, see what they're all about. And uh, if it's a fit, uh, you know, ha- ha- glad we make, made the introduction. Until next time, be safe. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please give us a like. Make sure you are subscribed to the podcast so you will get notified when future episodes are released. We will see you next time in the MSP Zone.